Belonging in the USA is a podcast focused on consciousness-raising conversations between host Arielle Nobile and her neighbors near and far. Our mantra is, if you exist, you belong. All the issues that we're facing, all our challenges, talk about the pandemic, climate change, forced migrations, the list goes on. At the end of the day, these are global issues. We need to think, hey, we're all powerfully interconnected. We can only move forward if together we collaborate with one another instead of seeing in each other the enemy. Belonging in the USA is a Legacy Connections Films production brought to you in part by Grata, a wealth dynamics practice dedicated to leveraging wealth as a tool for full-hearted engagement in creating a better world. Grata promotes human connection, empowerment, and creativity by understanding wealth in all its forms. Because there's a whole lot more to wealth than money. Also brought to you in part by Copeland Consulting, a nationwide provider of in-home coaching, treatment, and recovery for anything from eating disorders to addiction and everything in between. Get life-changing help in real life and in real time. Discover what it's like to be truly alive. Visit copelandconsulting.com for more information. Link in show notes. When I met Jesus Neveu at the Awareness Film Festival in downtown LA back in the fall of 2019, I had no idea what an incredible human being he was and all that he'd accomplished. All I knew was that I felt inspired in his presence when we connected at a brunch for filmmakers. I'm sure you'll get it when you listen to this conversation that we have, the first one actually since that brunch. I also wanted to mention that he is quite an animated speaker and talks with his hands and whole body, which meant that for part of the interview, he was moving a lot, which caused a sound from his chair, which I later paused and asked him to be aware of. A little more about Jesus. He is a renowned filmmaker, social entrepreneur, and human rights activist who speaks internationally on issues related to environmental sustainability, social justice, and spiritual fulfillment. A former undocumented immigrant, Jesus went from being homeless to financially free in 10 years by building a real estate company that provides housing to those most in need. Jesus is also the winner of 26 international awards, 26, for his work as writer, director, producer, and star of the immigration feature film No Turning Back, which has been sold to 92 countries already. Nebot's latest film is American Nightmare, about the unfair criminalization of undocumented immigrants. It has already won 11 short film festival awards and it can now be viewed at AmericanNightmareFilm.com. Jesus has been invited to over 200 universities and colleges to show his films and inspire students to become visionary leaders that can solve our greatest social challenges. He's also received many awards, which we will link to his full bio in the show notes, as well as sharing the link to his film American Nightmare, which is available for free to watch. I hope you enjoy our conversation as much as I did. Well, hello, Jesus. Thank you so much for being here. I am grateful for you doing this and being one of the first guests on the Belonging in the USA podcast. Thank you so much, Ariel. My pleasure. My first thing I want to just ask you, since it's been such a bizarre, strange, mixed up or perfectly aligned world since I last saw you over a year and a half ago in LA, how are you? How is your spirit? How is your family? How's your community, your work? I am blessed. 
really, truly blessed. Um, obviously, we've gone through a lot of challenges in our society, and obviously those affect me like uh, it may affect anybody, but I am very lucky to be where I am and grateful for the family that I have and grateful for the life that I enjoy. And to that end, just happy to be of service to others in the best way I can. And so when we, so we met at the Awareness Film Festival in Los Angeles in 2019, the fall of 2019. And you were there with your film, American Nightmare. Correct. I saw afterwards and everybody out, everybody listening should go and is it, can you watch it online? Yes, you can go to AmericanNightmareFilm.com and, and still watch it over there. We, we did play it a lot, especially before the elections. And it got a lot of attention. Uh, it went kind of viral in a way. It got me a lot of, <laughs> on one hand, hate mail from Trump supporters. But it was actually very interesting because I got to engage with them and understand their perspective and have a conversation that I think we have been missing in this country. And, and I think there is much need for us to reach out to the other aisle, if you will, and talk about these issues that are supposedly separating us with the awareness that ultimately we're all human beings and more important than our political belief or our, you know, theology or country of origin. Uh, we, we, did, we, do, we do need to come together and understand that the challenges that we face as human beings require for us to talk to one another and collaborate and not uh, pit each other uh, against the other, you know. Absolutely. And I've had some incredible conversations over the past, I would say four years with people who may think differently or vote differently than I do. But it's important for me personally to stay open and listen more than I talk. And I think that is something that we all need to feel seen and heard. So tell us a little bit about your film, American Nightmare and what it is, the premise. I mean, I watched it, I was blown away. I can still see the images in my head of it but I feel like it's a good entree into this conversation about belonging in the USA. Well, thank you. It all happened basically in 2018. Uh, as you may recall, that's when Trump uh, put in place this zero tolerance policy by which children were being separated from their asylum seeking parents, even though seeking asylum is, is legal in the US. And um, what caught my attention about the policy was not so much Trump put it into an effect because I think we all knew Trump and what he's capable of. But the fact that they had such a wide support among Republicans. And, and to me, that was troublesome because I look at the Republican Party as a party that, you know, it's into family values and Christianity and a lot of things that I felt were against what this policy was representing. And, and I just got the feeling that people did not understand what this was doing to children and families. I got the feeling that there was a need for me to do something about it. And Susanna, that is my beloved wife, but she actually encouraged me to use our creative uh, tools to do something that would be meaningful in this particular crisis. And therefore I came up with this little, uh, this little tale, or if you will, this little film whereby I allow people to put on uh, somebody else's shoes. And for me to do it effectively, I thought, well, this policy, uh, it's in place because of the so-called misdemeanor of coming here uh, illegally. Uh, it's not a felony, it's a misdemeanor. Not many people knew about it. And therefore I thought, well, maybe uh, if this policy would be 
in place uh, nationwide, as you know, supposedly nobody's about the law, then this would create complete havoc in our society. And that's how I came talking about this particular accident, like a different type of, not particular accident, in this case, um, speeding in this particular film of American Nightmare, a situation of a speeding that could evolve into a misdemeanor. And then out of that, had this American family be subjected to this family separation because of that violation and because there is zero tolerance against any illegal activity, right? You know, I realize that there is such a huge polarization that there is much need for us to tell stories that communicate from our heart that, you know, that are not so much intellectual, that are not so much about facts, but are about giving everybody the opportunity to put themselves in other people's shoes so they can understand and hopefully in that regard, become more empathic, more uh, understanding, have greater compassion for others. I think there is a need for us to understand, hey, you know, we're all human beings. We're all doing our best. Uh, People come here seeking a better life. People come here in many cases uh, because of extreme uh, poverty and also because of life-threatening violence. And uh, they come here expecting that uh, there's the American dream. And what we really have uh, provided them is this American nightmare. But this American nightmare is not just their nightmare. It is also our nightmare to the extent that our American values are not being respected, are not being honored. And there is a need to have this conversation. I think it's a conversation that we are still continuing, even though we have new administration, because clearly this polarization is showing us that people are very divided. Um, and it's not so much politics, it's identity, and, and it's, it's rural communities uh, pitting against uh, more diverse communities living in the coastal areas. And so we, we do need to tell our stories. And I feel as filmmakers, it's our duty to tell stories like you have done as well, that can allow us to empathize with others and uh, to realize that even though we look different, in essence, we truly are the same. We are one. Beautifully said, and I couldn't agree more. And I think that it's what's so beautiful about films in particular, and your film, the fiction, I mean, I make documentaries, you're making this a fictional story, right? But the way that it penetrates your heart, the way that you can't um, help but imagine, and what if this was happening to you, right? I mean, that's the sort of radical empathy that we all need to have for each other. But I know for you, this is also very personal story. So can you talk about, you know, your immigration story and what, you know, brought you here maybe and what you um, hoped to find when you came to the United States and what you found? Well, I'm from Spain and uh, interesting enough, one of my first memories in life, I think shaped me as a human being and perhaps is the reason why I'm here doing the work that I do. And it happened when I was six years old and it was on Christmas, Christmas Eve, as a matter of fact, and I was having um, a dinner with my family, with my two younger siblings and my parents. And in the middle of this Christmas Eve dinner, my father told me, Jesus, close your eyes and open your hand. And I was intrigued and I did so. And I noticed he left some paper or something and he said, open your eyes. And when I opened my eyes, I saw a bill. And it was a bill of 100 pesetas, roughly imagine $8, $9. And I was, wow. And my father said, Jesus, you're not a toddler anymore. 
you're a grown-up child, so I'm giving you for the first time money so you can do with it whatever you want. And I was like, wow. And it felt so special to me, right? And shortly after that dinner, my parents left. They went to church, uh, midnight mass, as they call it over there in Spain at the time. And um, they left me alone because I actually had a bit of a cold. And uh, shortly after they left, somebody knocked on the door. And I imagine it was maybe my father, maybe they forgot the keys, something happened. And when I opened the door, it was this lady in front of me. And, and she looked so different. Like she, she had a very colorful dress, but it was kind of torn apart. But what caught my attention the most is that she was breastfeeding a child and having another child in her other hand. And I was like, you know, stunned in a way. And, and this lady says, can I talk to your dad? And I said, no, my, my dad is not here. I said, oh, can I talk to your mom? And I said, no, no, they both left. They, they went to church and I'm here by myself. And she said, oh. And then she proceeded to leave. But I was so intrigued to see this, this lady that looked a little foreign with brown skin, with, with the baby breastfeeding. And so I couldn't help myself. I said, hey, hey, lady, lady. And she turned around. And I said, but what is it you want? And she told me, well, I'm a, I'm a gypsy woman. I'm new to this community. And uh, to be honest with you, uh, I'm just asking for some charity now that it's Christmas because I need to feed my children. And at that time, I don't know, I just said, oh, I can help. And she said, you can? Sure. I reached down my pocket. I got the bill that my father gave to me and I gave it to her. And I remember she told me, no, no, you can't do that. And I said, yes, I can. It's my money. I'm so proud of that. And she got tears. I, she was so touched by this. She said, oh my God, thank you, thank you. I'm going to be able to buy the milk for, for my children and, and, and we're going to get some food now and celebrate Christmas. Oh my God, thank you, thank you, thank you. And, and in that moment, Ariel, I, I, I really deeply got it as a six-year-old child that, the, that, that this thing about giving and receiving is one and the same. The joy of me giving her this, I guarantee you, and I knew then that it was bigger than the joy I would have get, gotten from buying an ice cream or buying a little toy on my own with that money. And, and that experience touched me deeply. And, um, you know, when my father came, I told him, and of course they told me, well, you should not open the doors to strangers and whatnot. But, you know, we got to have this conversation and he said, yes, there are people out there that are poor, that don't have a family like you do, that don't have food like you do. And, and this is what's happening. And it kind of awoke in my my activist heart, so to speak, you know, and have that compassion and that understanding for people that were just not doing as well as I was. But the reason I think this is a very important story is because, quite frankly, I think that any child that would have been in that situation probably would have answered the same way. Because at that age, we're just open. We, are, we just want to play. We want to get to connect. We want to give whenever we can. We want to interact. We are not so caught in our beliefs and our opinions. We have not been indoctrinated. We haven't gotten to have these ideologies based on what we hear from the TV or from the teachers or from parents or whatnot. And therefore, there is this openness, this genuine spirit of wanting to connect with others. And that's, I think, what is missing right now so much in our society, we get so caught in our ideas, in our personal indoctrination, that we are unable to connect with that common humanity that unites us all. 
And we, and when we're children, we are absolutely aware of how, first of all, how interdependent we are because we know we depend on our parents. We know we depend on our families. We know we depend on our friends. You know, we have this sense of community that is that we're, that's part of our survival. It's not even about joy. It's, it's really basic. And so we understand that we are all connected. It's just basic. It's common sense. Yes. We do slowly over time that seems to erode as especially in cultures like in the United States, I think, where it's so based on individualism, this rugged individualism, this myth of, you know, the superior human being who can beat out everyone else and do everything better and doesn't need anyone. I call it, you know, dysfunctional independence, right? The yes. sense that we just don't need anyone and that there's this myth of the self-made man, right? Really, the self-made person. Whereas anyone who is really successful will tell you nobody does everything on their own. Yes. There's always a, a whole millions of people that actually come together on some energetic level to help anyone rise to any form of success. I completely agree with you. And also I would add, there is not this level of judgment of others that we develop as adults that are creating these barriers among each other. Was that before you were school age? I mean, I wonder. Yeah, I was, I was, I was actually five or six years old. I think I was just about starting school. Yeah. So at that age, in reality, yes, is when you still maintain that innocence, if you will, that that is so beautiful. And I think that's why, you know, I, I, we are filmmakers and people tell us, well, don't make films with children. And my first feature film was not American Nightmare, it was a, I make a feature called Not Turning Back and it was with a child and it had a lot of success. And I honestly believe it's because you know, we are so compelled to watch these children that are so innocent, that open the world to us, to that, that level of innocence. And, but, you know, it's mainly the fact that here we have people that are non-judgmental. Same thing with, with pets, actually. So there is something to be learned about that. So, well, first of all, where in Spain are you from? Because I love Spain. Well, I was born in Santander, Spain, a northern part of Spain, but I lived in different parts of the country because of my father's job. And then eventually, uh, something I didn't tell you is that when I was uh, 17 years old, I was very independent. I, Because of that activism that developed in an early age, I was also in a situation where I was having conflict with family and society overall. And I ended up um, going to France um, and I had a girlfriend that lived over there. And when I was in France, I was there as an undocumented immigrant. And I worked in the fields picking up uh, fruit from sunrise to sunset. And that's actually how I was able to also raise some money so that I could pursue my education in Spain. And that was a wonderful opportunity for me to get to know not only another culture, but experience that side of the coin of being a person without papers. Um, And interesting enough, when I came to Spain to continue my education, at the time, it was mandatory to do the military service. So I didn't want to do that. I actually wanted to work for world peace. I was, as a youngster, having these ideals about uh, the society where I wanted to live and therefore I thought it wouldn't make sense for me to go and be part of an army and learn how to defend myself from others and, and you know, how to use arms or guns or whatnot. And I was a, what you would call now, a consensus, con- conscious objector. 
And uh, thank God the law changed over time in Spain, so I did not have to go to jail, but I could not pursue my education as I wanted. My idea was I wanted to work as a diplomat, work for World Peace, work at UNICEF, UNESCO, who knows, United Nations, and that I couldn't pursue. But life had another plan for you because you were supposed to be telling these important stories. <laughs> you know, interesting and all, that's how I ended up uh, becoming a filmmaker. And, you know, um, the reason I became a filmmaker is precisely because I had this interest in spirituality. And I was not just spirituality from the Christian perspective. I mean, I looked at the life of Jesus and Muhammad and Krishna and, and Buddha and their stories and their sacred books. And I realized they were all storytellers. They all used the power of storytelling to convey this wisdom that can help us to, you know, awaken within each one of us this love for one another. And to me, that was the part that was so important. And that's what inspired me to become a filmmaker. And that's why I made a film like American Nightmare, uh, where I had this opportunity to tell your tale, uh, where you can put yourself in other people's shoes. But at the end of the day, if you look at it, and I hope that people that want to go to americannightmarefilm.com and watch it, um, you know, my, what I'm really sharing is the importance of loving others as we love ourselves, regardless of our ideology, country of origin, religion, or immigration status for that matter, right? It's just coming to terms with that uh, common understanding that we are all um, one and the same and need to love one another in spite of the, the fact that we're also very diverse and we look different and that's beautiful in itself, but should not be a reason for us not to understand that commonality that we all share. Like you said earlier, people who come to any country from another country, there's some spirit of adventure, but sometimes it's really because there's nowhere else to go, right? There's a sense of, I have to leave this place. What are my options? Okay, I'm going there. That's the place I'm going. And it's not always about, I don't know what people think when they think about, you know, undocumented workers or illegal aliens. What do they think this is about if it's all choice? I mean, I have family members, uh, friends, close friends who are here undocumented to this day. And it's an issue that is very near and dear to my heart because I, I just don't think that humans can be illegal. I think we all belong wherever we are. So how did you, so you were in France, you're, you know, experiencing what it is to be without papers and the, the stress of that life, because it's extremely stressful. Um, and by the way, I think also a lot of people out there do that. And I think depending on your level of privilege already, it's more or um, less precarious, wouldn't you say? Absolutely. Absolutely. And yes, when I was there, I was there. On one hand, I would say I welcome the experience of expanding my horizons. But on another sense, I, being an independent person, was looking at the opportunity that France had at the time when Spain was in crisis to provide some work. And, and that's what I did. But it was difficult. I mean, I remember challenges. I remember I had difficulties getting housing just because of my status. Uh, so I had to stay in the streets for, for a few days. Um, it was not an easy thing. And uh, working in the fields, I mean, you're working 12 hours a day when you are picking up fruit. And it was very hard work. And I definitely got a sense of what it means to be an immigrant. And um, I did that for a year. Imagine people that have to struggle for so many years. Did you speak French? I did learn French eventually in the streets, basically. And, and not to date you, but are you, was this pre-EU? 
European Union? Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. This was, I came to the United States about roughly 20 years ago. And when I came here, I came, as you would say, as a privileged immigrant. Uh, at the time, I had already worked in the entertainment industry uh, as an actor mainly. And I came here uh, with interest of pursuing my dreams and making films and doing things of that nature uh, because Los Angeles was the world capital of entertainment. Uh, but it was quite interesting to come here for the first time because uh, I was in Venezuela prior to that working in telenovelas and being a well-known actor and perceived as this uh, star, I guess, and getting all the attention that comes with that. And then when I came to the U.S., it's like my perception completely shifted, right? And, and uh, even the jobs that I was eventually able to get later on as an actor were very different. So I realized how what amazing that you're the same person, but in certain circumstances, you're in one country, you're perceived this way, you move, you get a plane, three hours later, you're in a completely different country and you're perceived completely differently even though you're the same person. So to me, that was kind of an awakening as well, uh, coming to the US and having that realization. And um, I was quite interested in the immigrant community, uh, not just because of my past, but because of my sensitivity as an actor and as a filmmaker. And eventually my first project was not turning back a film about, about immigrants. And I would say that uh, it's not just that I had the past of an immigrant. I think that the fact that I was able to travel, I told you about being in France, in Venezuela, I got to go to other countries prior to coming to the U.S. It really expanded my, my mind to understand uh, people in a different light. And I think that that is pretty much missing among a lot of people in the U.S. that have not had that opportunity to travel and get to know other cultures and other people. I have this vision that, so I know this was what the, the Peace Corps was intended to be this, but it's not what it has become. But I really feel like, okay, if every person in this country, if they get to be 18, instead of having to join the military to pay for college or instead of all these things, if everyone just was given three months to go to a foreign land, and this was like part of our culture, we just had to do this. You go for three months, to a place you don't speak the language and you don't know anyone. You're given a certain amount of money, maybe a place to live, maybe you have to live with a family, but you're thrust into this situation where you are an other. If everyone did that, we would have a completely different world. I completely agree. And, and you talk about belonging. And quite frankly, as I was growing up as a child, because I was moving around Spain, that as you said, is a very diverse country with different languages and different cultures. I never got that sense of belonging that came from having the same type of friends and going to the same type of school. So belonging for me became a choice. I'm going to belong to that place where I am. And I will make sure that I do my best to reach out to others from that understanding that, hey, you know, I may look different than you all, but we do have uh, commonalities, you know, we are all human beings, we all have same feelings and emotions and uh, may have different ideas based on our experiences and our education, but at, at the end of the day, we all want the same thing, you know, we all want peace and we all want uh, to be in an environment that is loving and to prosper one way or another. Um, but you are absolutely right when you talk about how incredibly important it is for us to travel and get to know other cultures firsthand for us to expand our mind and our perspective. And like you said, 
how we're perceived, right, in the different contexts. Yes, yes. And, and, and also to realize how others are struggling because uh, you were talking about migration. And in fact, I was a privileged immigrant when I came here, but the vast majority of people that come here are because of forced migration. And by the way, when I say here, I say the US, but quite frankly, it's happening across the world. Forced migration, it's a global issue. And I feel that what is missing right now at this moment, hopefully with the new administration, uh, things can change a little bit, is that understanding that all the issues that we're facing, all our challenges, talk about the pandemic, talk about climate change, talk about forced migrations, talk about income inequality. I mean, you can go, the list goes on. At the end of the day, these are global issues. We need to go beyond thinking about America, America, America. We need to think, hey, we're all powerfully interconnected. We can only move forward if together we collaborate with one another instead of seeing in each other the enemy or the, uh, you know, or the opponent. And, and that mentality, that spirit of diplomacy and collaboration was pretty much missing during the Trump administration, during his leadership. And I think it's really what is needed right now. In other words, we need to move beyond our identity based on our nationality, our country of origin, based on I'm American, I'm from Spain, I'm from Mexico. No, beyond that, the truth is that we're all, like I said before, human beings. And we need to look at each other from that humanitarian perspective so that we can find common sense solutions to our challenges that work for the good of all people. Absolutely. And I think that's, I mean, I was raised to be a citizen of the world. If someone is looking down on this planet, they don't see countries. There are no borders. There's no separation. It's our, it's the mental and the political and the economic separation that we've created that are these false premises. And I would argue that this is something way beyond and before Trump. I mean, I think this is just in the foundation of this very country. Maybe it's part of being human, actually, this sort of need for scapegoating and the need for putting people into these categories and groups and having some in the demonized group and some in the privileged group. And I do have a lot of faith in humanity for some reason still. And I do believe that we can come to see this interconnection. And I do feel that that's one of the gifts of this time with COVID is people that have maybe never thought about these things coming to understand that we affect each other on the most basic health level, right? That our energy connects and flows and we can either help each other heal or we can help each other, you know, to continue to perpetuate illness. And I mean, all kinds of illness, spiritual, mental, physical. So I'm curious about nowadays, where do you feel your greatest sense of belonging? I belong where I am and I could be in a different country and I would say the same thing. Uh, I feel that there are two parts of belonging. Uh, We can talk about belonging as to how you feel in a given moment. And and I understand that for many people uh, that they are facing challenges and discrimination and racism and whatever the case may be, uh, it is difficult to get that sense of belonging uh, of part of that culture. Um, But I feel that how we can become powerful um, activists and advocates uh, is also by understanding belonging is a choice. I'm gonna choose, I belong here, and I'm gonna do whatever it takes to make sure that this is understood. 
and that this does not become a, you know, uh, an issue of separation, uh, which means that I need to integrate in the society where I go. I need to make an effort to obviously learn the language and the culture and respect the norms and follow the laws and whatever the case may be. And yet I'm going to be me. I'm going to be myself. I'm going to let my life be, my life be present and share that with others and tell my stories and educate others about where I come from and uh, what is the beauty of my culture and still speak Spanish or whatever other language you may speak and say, hey, I belong here and I am who I am and we may look different, but like I said before, in essence, we're human beings and we all belong to the society. And I feel that this is the essence of the American dream as well and the foundation of America as a country not a country that was necessarily based on one religion and one race and one ideology, but precisely uh, America is great because of its diversity. Uh, and that's what has strengthened this country. And I feel that it's up for each one of us as immigrants to, uh, as much as we can face struggle in given moments, depending on the circumstances, make a case that we belong here. And that by, belong, by making that choice, even if you don't feel like, because maybe you don't feel people are welcoming you, by making that choice, being empowered to help others in your community to understand that choice and to embrace you as part of their community. Beautifully said. And I hope that, I think that your words are gonna hopefully touch the hearts of many people listening to this. And, and I wanna ask you about because what you're talking about to me is very connected to the sort of American dream myth about freedom. You know, this country was apparently founded by these people coming from Europe, right? To find freedom in the, to be who they were and to express themselves and shine their lights, right? And, and practice their religion. Now they were coming to a land that already was occupied, had inhabitants and that is all, you know, a whole nother layer. What to you is freedom? This is such a profound and deep question. Um, I do see the word freedom used in the U.S. and misused in the U.S. so frequently. First of all, talking about America, we need to understand the history of America. This is a country built on stolen land with stolen labor, which are the slaves. And I feel that that is still not sinking in for many people. And I think that a lot of the issues that we're facing and a lot of, for example, the demonization of the Black Lives Matter movement, it's because there is not that recognition of our history and where we come from. So I think that freedom <laughs> really is the opportunity for me to be so blessed that I can choose to be of service to others in any way, shape and form that I want. Freedom is not the entitlement of me getting whatever I want, no matter what the community feels like. I think that you and I, because we have had our European experience, understand that our individual freedom cannot be more important and supersede the collective freedom, for example, to safety, right? So my individual freedom to know what I'm asked, for example, or to, or to wear guns, carry guns and all that, cannot be more important than the community freedom, the feeling of a society, the feeling of our communities to feel safe and to feel like they can be protected from, in this case, 
a virus or let's say, for example, gun violence. So that type of understanding of freedom as I am here to do whatever I want with this regard to the fact that, as you said before, beautifully, we are powerfully interconnected and therefore that needs to be part of the equation is very faulty. And I think it's kind of uh, the reason in many cases there, uh, there is this ex extremist movement uh, within, in this case, the US, but I would say around the world of understanding freedom as in a very egotistical manner, as opposed to the freedom that is available for me because of my privilege to then be of service to those that are not as privileged. That's the freedom because quite frankly, the freedom only exists when you have the basics needs taken care of. The freedom can only exist when you are free from the struggle to provide for the basic needs of food and shelter. And uh, most, not most, but I would say a great part of our population in the world are still stuck with that. And then of course, there is the question of uh, freedom in terms of being in a society that is oppressed. Uh, in the US, we do have the freedom of uh, obviously opinion, uh, but here is the situation where we can all have freedom of saying whatever we want, but does that mean that we should, let's say, use social media to spread lies that could pose a danger to society? Does that mean that we should use our means for freedom to instigate, uh, harbor hate or, or violence or for any other possible criminal behavior? No, I think that we need to understand that our freedom has a limitation and the limitation is provided by, by the community where we live in the sense that we cannot expect that our freedom should be of danger or should cause any pain or damage or harm to the people that are around us. That's not freedom, that's abuse, that's power, that's privilege, and that is not uh, how I understand freedom. Freedom ultimately for me is beyond uh, self-expression, which of course is beautiful, is that peace of mind that we each individual can ultimately attain uh, with the awakening of who we really are, uh, with that understanding of uh, our true nature as peace and love and joy, um, but that type of awakening can only occur under circumstances where you can take that deep journey of introspection and it's not available to most people. And therefore we still start with this old version of freedom that seems to be, I wanna do whatever I want and I'm entitled to it. And if it hurts you, so be it. That's not freedom in my opinion. No, that's selfishness. <laughs> that's a form of ego, egotism and, and, um, and it's, Unfortunately, a lot of it, and a lot of what we're talking about today to me has to do with education too. How people, how people learn, where they learn, what they learn, and you know, the, the sort of mass programming that we all undergo in any system. Um, and it's, I don't wanna blame, I don't, I don't believe in blaming, I don't think that helps anything either, but just awareness and waking up. But I think like what you just said, that's a privilege to even have the sort of space I have a friend who was a teacher. She was a she was a lawyer turned acting actress uh, and teach acting teacher in a very small town in a very small province in Argentina in the northwest, and she was amazing. And she this was in two thousand three when I met her, 
And it was, Argentina was in a very, very horrible crisis economically. I mean, I was seeing children in the street, you know, looking through garbage, uh, something, you know, thankfully in the US, we mostly don't have to see that, right? And I say have to see because I think so much of what is wrong in the world, we sort of disguise and cover up so it's masked. So the privilege can stay <laughs> ignorant. But she told me, you know, we talked about what she was teaching these kids outside in a, you know, under a tree. It was so hot there too. And she said to me, I'll never forget, you know, I can't teach them anything when their bellies are growling. Of course not. Now, she was a bright light in their lives, I'm sure. And she, I'm sure she gave them food when she wasn't even supposed to do that and things like that. And eventually things did get a little better in Argentina. Maybe she was able to do acting work, but that's not even what it is about. It's about the basics have to be there and the basics have to be, and we have enough in the world that the basics should be there for everyone. There's no real excuse anymore in this world that there isn't, that there, you know, some people are trillionaires and, <laughs> and then there's people, little kids who don't have food. So I think it goes back to what you said at the beginning, what has to happen in some ways is to harness that energy that all children have when they're little of understanding what sharing really is, what it means to be uh, interdependent and connected to that joy that comes from sharing with someone else, not hoarding. You got that gift of that experience that shaped your life. But I guess I want to ask you in this context of your definition of freedom also, where and when do you feel the most free in your life now? I am so blessed, Ariel, that I could just, I, I feel free in every single moment. I feel free because um, somehow I have been able to disidentify myself from my thought process, my, my thinking. So I understand I have a particular belief, but I know I'm not that belief. That's something I have. Um, I understand that I have a particular country where I was born, uh, but that's not who I am. That's just my nationality. So I think that having that distinction between what is that I have and who I am is being very basic for me to then really enjoy freedom at all moments because it only takes that awakening and that awareness for me to realize, well, uh, I am free now to engage with you, no matter who you are, from a place of love. And that's a choice that I make now from that place of awareness. So you were talking before about our education, and I am so in agreement with you. I feel that we learn math and we learn language and we learn science, but we are not learning the basic skills about how to be a functional human being, how to listen to one another. I enjoy having conversations. Uh, I was making a point about Trump supporters, and I have made comments about you know, his leadership style not being perhaps the most ideal, but quite frankly, I can say I love Trump and I love Trump supporters. It's not like for me, it's like this, I love every human being and that is what uh, allows me to be free. I am free from fear and free from judgment and free from that because regardless of the fact that I'm a human being like everybody else and hold beliefs and opinions and nationality or whatever, no, I'm not a slave to them. I am free from them. Those are things that I have. My nationality, I can change tomorrow. I can, you know, well, not maybe that easy for some people, but, you know, it's not something that cannot be changed. Same thing with your ideas. 
So going back to education, how important it is that we really learn to listen to one another with empathy, that we really listen, like we are not like already thinking what we're going to say afterwards, but really understand that perspective. So when I have made comments, as I have during this interview about other people, maybe people that are more close-minded and maybe don't have a chance to travel, I am here to learn from them and to also listen to them and to understand what's going on. And that's how I can then create that opportunity of connecting whereby they can listen to me and I can listen to them and we can come together to some common ground. And that's what is really needed, especially now living in a, such a polarized society and polarized world as we are living now. Um, and that comes from schooling, that comes from education, that comes from valuing uh, those basic communication skills that are missing uh, in most of the interactions that we're having. I go to social media and it's like all of a sudden people insulting each other and like, really? Like, is that needed? I mean, what, what, what? I mean, that reflects poorly on you. Why would you go there? What, what is, so I don't know, maybe some people say, well, I'm free to do that. Okay, fine. But that is definitely not the free that sets you free. That, that's not a freedom that sets you free. You know, the freedom that sets you free is a freedom precisely from feeling like a victim or feeling like you are triggered in any single moment for whatever happens or feeling like, um, you know, caught in a particular paradigm from which you cannot escape. So uh, that is when I feel the most free is when I just meditate and I just connect and I just talk to people as beautiful as you are and everybody else and I realized, well, you know what? God is everywhere. God is infinite. God is whatever I look at, that's God there. And there is a basic choice for all of us to make as human beings, which is, is this a friendly universe? Yes or no? If your answer is, this is not a friendly universe, I'm sure you're going to struggle and you're going to fight and you're going to be in a place of, of all the time being in conflict and you're going to be unhappy. But if you make the choice, this is a friendly universe. So no matter what happens, no matter what is reflected back to me, I'm going to look at it as an opportunity to grow and liberate myself further from all these system of beliefs that I have. Then, then you realize the freedom is just nothing more than consciousness, than being aware, being present in the here and the now, no matter where you are. That reminds me of, as you were saying that I was thinking up here, I have this vision board and one of my quotes on it is, Einstein, there is only two ways to live your life. One is though nothing is a miracle and the other is though everything is a miracle. Yes. Yeah. And, and it's a choice and it's, it's the Anne Franks of us, right? The ones who believe that people are inherently good or bad. It's how you're going to feel whatever you believe, it's going to reflect back to you, right? Yes. As you walk out the door. So I have to ask you this because I don't know if you knew this, but I also have a background as an actor, not on, not, not on soaps, but I did independent film and theater. I studied theater. And I wonder, I often think that my training, because I trained since I was nine as an actor, I really do think that my training in listening and responding and empathizing and getting inside of all different characters is what helps me be the person I am today and shaped my understanding, empathy, and all of the things that I am and my storytelling um, and my ability to just sit with people and my curiosity. So is that true for you too? I mean, I just think we have that acting thing in common. I want to talk about it. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Listen, when you're an actor, and uh, no matter what character you are going to play, you can only succeed in doing that character well if you don't have judgments about it. If you really embrace the humanity of that character, 
whoever that may be. I, I remember one time I did the role of Caligula uh, on a theater. It was a Albert Camus play. And I've done others. I've done Dracula one time. And, you know, it was like, how can I humanize this person? How can I reveal the struggles of this person in a way that allows others to understand and have greater empathy? So I think it's part of our craft uh, when we are attempting to be a good actor to really embody that character from that place of non-judgment and, and greater understanding. And when you do that, um, that's when your acting becomes really compelling because that's when you can be playing the so-called bad guy and still people find you captivating because there is something about it that, you know, that you can understand, that you can relate, that you can have empathy for. And, you know, you end up rooting for this guy and, and you say, how could I be rooting for this guy? Well, you're rooting for this guy because you have a great actor that is doing a great job in making sure that this character is not portrayed like a caricature that is not uh, portrayed as a stereotype, but it's portrayed as a human being. And quite frankly, if we would all do that with our respective lives as we are as human beings, we would all fall for each other no matter what, because we are freaking cool people, all of us as human beings, where we're not caught in our ideas and our obsessions and our, you know, we're all cool people. I do believe that in essence, we're all good people. And I look at all the <laughs> conspiracy theories going on right now. And the basis of them is somehow we get to believe that we're victims of others. And somehow we are connecting the, doll, the dots in a biased manner to come up with this speculative conclusion by which we are demonizing and we are vilifying others. At some point, uh, we need to release ourselves and free ourselves from that idea that we're a victim of others. And when we do that is when we have the opportunity to realize the goodness and the humanity that is present in every person. That's crucial. And I wish that, again, I wish that would be part of the common, if we were to sort of start over and forget the math and the science and all that, I would want to start with, you know, some basic acting exercises, some games that are, you know, just that I've taught and played with so many groups of different people, adults to little kids, and just how the spark, like the holy magic. The first time I feel like I ever really had a, like a spiritual awakening, epiphany kind of ongoing experience for me was in my, in high school, I was in this theater company and our ensemble was magical. We could communicate on this deep, deep energetic level for, for months, right? It was just beautiful synergy of energy. And it's not that I was best friends with all those people. Some of them I talked to still, some of them I never talked to again, but that I think so much of my life for the next 10 years was trying to recreate <laughs> that feeling of connection that I had with those other souls in that space of play. So I think there's also a playfulness too about life. And even when I talk to you, there's some energy of just lightness, right? Play that is also based in a, a, like you said, there's certain, our basic needs are here. We have them, we have that taken care of, right? But beyond that, we don't have, we can choose how we face each other, how we face each day and how we face um, all these things that seem insurmountable. So I wanna ask you, what are your daily practices that help you the most to stay in this beautiful state of awareness that you seem to have? Wow. Um, always being grateful and being blessed and always 
realizing that. So no matter what's going on in my life, when somebody asks me, how are you doing? I'm blessed. I'm great. It's like affirming that. Even if that's not how you feel in a given moment, affirm that. Be grounded in that. Be grateful for what is, even if that what is right now is a pain in the butt for you. Because what is, is here for a purpose. If you really think, as I mentioned before, that it's a friendly universe, there is a reason for that. And we need to look at our lives as a journey. We are here for a purpose. And that purpose ultimately would be awakening to that <laughs> uh, spiritual freedom that we were referring to, right? So no matter what happens, it's here for that purpose. You were talking about role playing and being an actor. I mean, also while we role play, we realize, oh my gosh, I can just put these clothes and I can have this belief and therefore I am a different person. And then it gives you the sense that who you think you are, maybe it's not who you are, that we are caught in thinking who we are, but that who we really are or what we are goes beyond that. What we are is truly energy. And, and it's an energy that we share with everyone else. It's the energy and the source of everything, right? I mean, right now, this is not even a spiritual conversation. This is more of a, a scientific conversation because we know this for a fact, the same way that we know that we come from a speck of sand that exploded with a big bang and created this universe as, as it is. So just having that humbleness of how small little we are and yet how amazingly beautiful God we are, God-like we are, um, being in this journey of life as a mystery, being in this journey of life, I would say as, as a dream, uh, but a dream that should be a dream where you're aware of, I don't know, lucid dreams is something where we're having a dream, but we know we're dreaming and we get to enjoy it because we know we are in a dream. I think our lives is like that. We need to look at our lives as, you know, it's not what it seems like. It's not what we're thinking about. It's just appearances. And if we're conscious of it and we're lucid enough to be awakened in that sense and free from all these uh, things that are happening around us and getting caught in that chaos, then there is a chance to enjoy life and realize that this is really paradise, that paradise is not somewhere else. Paradise is not me making so much money or having a car or marrying somebody else, but paradise can be cultivated within from that, from that consciousness. So, in a way, having those moments where I can just come to terms with that and meditation could be a moment, communing with nature. I love going and just going for a hike or just going, being at the beach or just feeling the sunshine, uh, powerful. Um, I always like to, at the end of my day, read a book about truth. And, you know, there are many books and many teachers and some people know Eckhart Tolle and some people know Adi Ashanti, but you know, uh, it doesn't matter the teacher. What matters is truth. And truth has been conveyed by many different teachers and many different traditions. And just, just read. It could be a poem. It could be Rumi. I mean, just read whatever you resonate with and allow that, uh, that to touch you. Not thinking from the logical mind, because that's not what it is, but just let it that soothe you and touch you and go to sleep with that. But I would say that my practices are mainly introspection whenever there is a conflict. And an awareness, awareness of that true essence that I've been able to, to, to touch up, to, to, to feel personally in a way that it's not a thinking, it's not an idea, but it's a, it's a knowingness. It's not like knowledge, it's, it's a knowingness. I know that is here with him that I can tap and go there anytime and just do that 
whenever I am in a place of unrest is my main practice. Beautiful. Thank you. And I share a lot of that. And I think it is so important. And I can tell the difference based on what I wake at my nighttime practices and my morning. I mean, I sort of have rituals that I do every day. I try, but they can, the context changes what I'm reading or what I'm, but it does matter what we take in and, you know, how much we're on our devices or not. And my daughter who's 10 was having some trouble sleeping over the course of COVID. She's gone in and out of, you know, she's very sensitive and in and out of anxiety with sleep and things. And she's never had issues with sleep before. And she just started doing this 10 day sleep meditation course. She did it a couple weeks ago and she's doing it again because she wanted to. And she said to me yesterday, I'm sleeping so great. I just go right to sleep. <laughs> and it's so beautiful that again, if children could be given tools at a very young age to help themselves regulate, learn that there are answers, there are ways to soothe our spirits and souls. Because I think a lot of the dis-ease in the world is at this spiritual level, at the energetic level, and it manifests in the physical, but it's actually starting in a much deeper place. So I want to ask you this, this will be, I'm going to say it's my last question. What lifts your spirit the most these days and what gives you the most inspiration in this time where some people are really struggling for that? Well, two other practices that perhaps I'm not so aware of as I'm thinking about it. I love myself and I feel that it's very important for me to be an unconditional lover, like love everyone as myself. That awareness and that consciousness, I think, is becoming more widely known precisely because we have all the instruments right now to communicate with one another and reach out to one another. So the same way that social media has created this problem of polarization, it has also created the opportunity for us to connect with one another on a deeply level. And either it's because of deep awareness or it's just because of need, eventually I think that what gives me hope or what inspires me is the fact that we are realizing who really are as people beyond the constraints of our mind, beyond the constraints of our nationality and our ideology. And it may not be as present to most of us because we see all the negative effects of social media dividing us. Uh, But we also need to recognize that in reality, social media is nothing more than a tool. And the use with different consciousness can be an instrument of amazing transformation. And it is in fact doing so right now. So we talk about education. Well, there is education right now that we can do virtually. Uh, We could come up with a program, and I'm just sharing an idea, at the United Nations, whereby for one year, every every child in their own respective school, virtually or not, I don't know, can um, can be anchored in this consciousness of peace and love and joy and this understanding that all spiritual paths, in essence, are one and the same. It's about loving you and loving others and communicating from that place and being kind to one another. And that is what inspires me. And that's what gives me hope as well. The fact that the new generation that is so powerfully interconnected is realizing that more so thanks to social media and thanks to the opportunity of technology to reach out to one another. And eventually this is accelerating our consciousness our awakening 
And we will then uh, evolve to that understanding where perhaps we don't think have to think about being divided on nations or political parties or whatnot. We can go beyond that. We can discover our identity and our belonging in a much deeper place that is not in our mind, but it's more in our heart and in our soul and who we are as, as human beings. And in that regard, start taking better care of ourselves, human beings, and take better care of Mother Earth and all these species, because we are not here to exploit them. We're here to take care of them. And what a beautiful opportunity if we embrace that journey and how liberating it is that we can see this universe as a place where we can all wake up to this greater understanding of who we are so that we can love one another and love also all the species and the planet. That is a beautiful place to end. And I just want to say I'm so grateful to you for this conversation. And it feels like everything you we've talked about embodies the spirit of what I mean when I say belonging in the USA stories from our neighbors. This is this is it. So Jesus, gracias, muchas gracias. And gracias a ti, Ariel, for being who you are and for sharing this podcast with people and sharing this consciousness with with others and for all your beautiful work as well. Thank you. Thank you. for listening. Please subscribe wherever you like to listen to podcasts and write us a review. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Belonging in the USA and on Twitter at Belonging Series. You can also learn more about our work, subscribe to our newsletter, and make a tax-deductible donation at belongingintheusa.com. USA is partially brought to you by Copeland Consulting, a nationwide provider of in-home coaching, treatment, and recovery for anything from eating disorders to addiction and everything in between. Get life-changing help in real life and in real time. Discover what it's like to be truly alive. Visit copelandconsulting.com for more information. Link in show notes.